Hello and welcome to the Modern Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Mick Ryan. Thank you for joining me. Now, I am a wellbeing facilitator and have been since 2002. I'm an Australian-based APRA registered acupuncturist. I also have formal training in neuromuscular and sports massage therapy, trauma release exercises, neurofeedback therapy, reflexology, nutrition, exercise and fitness, tai chi, qigong and meditation and a whole lot more besides. And because of my extensive training and experience in well-being, I have developed an interest in all aspects of mental, emotional, physical well-being. And my intention with the show is to bring on guests who have a huge amount of expertise in different aspects of mental, emotional, physical well-being and get them to share their practical skills and their wisdom in how to help us to deal with stress and strains of everyday life and to manage our health and well-being. And in order to do that today, I've invited a guest on uh, called Deirdre Brandner. And Deirdre is a psychologist and she's an excellent psychologist. She has a postgrad in child and adolescent psychology and a master's in adolescent psychology. And she has a special interest in autism spectrum disorder. And what we want to do today, we're focusing on parenting kids with ASD or autism spectrum disorder during COVID and, and, and the unique challenges of that. We're also talking about how to transition kids back to school um, because we've been in this extensive lockdown. Uh, Melbourne's got the world's longest lockdown. Oh, that's, a, that's not something we want to be really proud of, but yeah. So um, we're talking about how to transition back to school, how to transition back to our normal lives now as these lockdowns come to an end and how to manage life in a pandemic. Uh, so Deirdre is, uh, as I say, she's a psychologist. She's had uh, numerous experiences in ABC News Breakfast and she's a, a great psychologist, such a, a great um, guest to have on the show. You're going to love listening to her. She's just so engaging, so fascinating. So enjoy the show and uh, I'll talk to you at the end. All right. Thank you. So Deirdre, welcome to the Modern Wellness Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me grateful to have you here it's awesome for taking time out of your very very busy schedule to to share your wisdom with us today i think it's such um an important topic and i think what families are navigating at the moment is something that well no one's ever had to go through before so you know really happy to provide able to provide any insights on you know parenting through this really difficult period for all sorts of families yeah i'd be grateful for sharing um about just parenting in in the midst of of covid in the midst of lockdowns the challenges that we face uh with parenting but given your particular experience um in dealing with kids uh, with asd as well that the unique challenges that parents of kids with asd face and also how do you differentiate between what is expected behavior uh, for a kid with ASD and what is exacerbated by the the lockdowns and the isolation and things like that? I think, look, first of all, um, you look at parents and what they're trying to navigate at this stage. So, you know, as adults, we like to have it as together as we can. You know, we're always going to have those parenting fails. But given how difficult this whole process has been for for every parent out there, you know, most of them walking to the door uh, are struggling in terms of their own um, well-being um, and their own concerns, whether that be financial 
or um, employment or having to look after so many other people in their lives. So, you know, we know that, um, you know, the energy levels of parents has definitely taken a dive. And, of course, this is the one time when our children sort of need us as switched on as we can be. And, and, and one of the things I have seen for families, um, for parents in particular, is this idea of this parent guilt, um, feeling dreadful that um, they're not doing it all, they're not able to do it all, they're not able to, you know, manage their workload, you know, um, keep on top of children's learning and also respond to behavioural issues that we know have been exacerbated by the circumstances we're living. Um, for many of you listeners, I'm sure they would be aware that for children who have autism spectrum disorder, one of the things that helps them most is order, predictability, routine. Mm. Um, you know, autism is, you know, a social communication disorder. And to sum it up, the world seems different from them. Uh, for them, they don't look at it the same way. And all of a sudden, um, their very world has been taken apart. And what they knew, whether it was going to preschool or going to kinder or going to school, has stopped. The fact that they can't ride their bike to that coffee shop and get that one item that they used to get. Trying to explain to a child who's got autism why they can't go to Kmart to pick out yet another Lego set or yet another packet of Pokemon cards. I mean, the rigidity of their thinking has it is so challenging in this stage because we understand the challenges of things that we're used to be able to do that we can't do. And even us as adults struggle with that. So the children on the spectrum, the difficulty in understanding the new rules and the new no-go zones has been really difficult for my clients. And it's it's very much about those unwritten or hidden rules. It's funny because we're, we're reading a book uh, from my son at the moment about the, the hidden rules of pirates. <laughs> and it's just, it's learning about hidden rules that to, to, to the rest of us, we, we pick up so easily, so quickly. Um, but kids at ASD, they don't get those hidden rules. They are hidden. They remain hidden. And it takes a long time to get around that, doesn't it? I think that's so important and we have to be really careful with our language because I know initially when we went um, into lockdown last year, um, I actually had to do a live um, to explain how you um, communicate this to children because there were children, both those with a diagnosis and those without, that had were terrified of this idea of lockdown because they thought it actually meant that literal interpretation that they were going to be locked down in their houses or locked down in their classrooms. So perfect example of the hidden rule that we take for granted that you would understand what that means, and they didn't. Um, so it's every one of those tiny little steps along the way that these children just don't understand. And I think sometimes even though we feel that, you know, we're educating ourselves to help um, these beautiful children, some ways they're really educating us. Mm-hmm. They do give us great insights. It, it's really interesting, yeah, because as, as you're talking there, I'm reminded of uh, my Chinese medicine professor when we were training. He said, if you want to treat a child, you always treat the parents. 
he said if, if there's something wrong with the child treat the parents you know because that's the key to it because it's usually if there's, if there's something wrong with the parents that's going to have a knock-on effect on the child they're going to pick up on that and that's going to throw them out of balance and it's very much in, in in line with what you're saying there absolutely and i mean i think one of the you know for children um with asd um there's two reasons they're not coping. Um, one is they're in sensory overload, so there's just too much going on around them. Um, and the other is to do with, you know, anxiety. And anxiety in ASD children presents very differently. Um, it presents as complete denial, avoidance, shutdown, or it presents as meltdowns um, or, you know, becoming rigid and fixated with one certain idea or obsession. So what we know about us as a society is we have become increasingly anxious because we're living in uncertain times. We don't know what date we're going to be able to do this. We don't know what date we can plan our next holiday. We don't know. We can't tell our children are they going to have their birthday in lockdown or not, um, who they're going to be able to see on their birthday. So... When we don't know what's going to happen, when we're not in control or when we don't have information that allows us to plan and predict, we all become unsettled Um, and we might become anxious, annoyed, irritable or sometimes quite angry. So for these children, us not being able to explain when they're going to be able to go back to preschool or kinder or when they're going to be able to go to their favourite shop or when they're going to be able to see grandma. All those things that we say we don't know, that is the last thing that a child with autism needs to see. So you asked at the beginning, Michael, about where that sits on what's exacerbated by COVID, what's expected children's behaviour and what's happening for children with ASD. My um, comments on that is that what's happening for children with ASD is a bit like responses to loud noises. Lots of us don't like loud noises and we avoid it. But a loud noise for a a child with ASD can often be like an explosion. So if we compare that to their level of um, anxiety and discomfort around the way the world looks at the moment, it might be, you know, at volume four or five for a um, neurotypical child, it's going to be at a nine or 10 for our ASD children. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a fascinating way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, talking about loud noises. Yeah. My, my son tonight, my, my daughter was, she's 18 months and she was having a, 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 just a screaming tantrum in the bath and he was supposed to be getting ready to go in the shower and he just, he wouldn't take his clothes off because he's like, it's too loud, too loud. And he was in, two rooms away and just the idea of going into that bathroom was like no definitely not that is not happening and it's you know it, i mean what i think is wonderful michael is that he's able to say too loud too loud yeah. you know that's one of the best parts that we get to when we've got our children being able to communicate what's going on for them and that isn't always the case um for children with a diagnosis and i think um particularly those who may not have those verbal skills developed yet, 
as parents, you know, it's going back to what you were saying about, you know, the Chinese, your Chinese professor saying that parents need to have the knowledge because we need to understand what the cues are that our child is sending us. So really, really important that that's, yeah, that that's what's happening because that will help, you know, it's really difficult to deal with a meltdown when it's up at a at, at 10. Um, it's much better to be preventative. Yeah. So um, I think some people get this misconception that if we get our child used to those loud noises, like your lovely boy, then he'll, you know, he'll just get used to it and become desensitised to it and it will be okay. Your son won't always feel like that about loud voices. But at this moment in this time, that's what sensory overload is for him. Mm-hmm. So it is never, ever, ever the place for us to try to desensitise um, a children's sensory issues. Um, so I think that's just really important to keep in mind. And it doesn't mean that if your child's sensory issues are heightened that their autism is getting worse. Sure. That is not the case. When a child is seeking either seeking sensory seeking or sensory avoidant, so sensory seeking mean that child who, um, you know, chews on their collar or chews, you know, you know, mm-hmm. on those uh, on the ends of jumpers that all get destroyed or chews on anything. Um, those clues that they're doing more of that tells us a bit about how they're not coping um, and that they're feeling anxious. So very rarely do we have an ASD, you know, at that early primary school age able to say, hey, I'm feeling anxious. Um, yeah. Actually, there's many teenagers who can't say, hey, I'm feeling anxious. A lot anxious. of adults as well who don't even know that about themselves. So I think as parents it's a really good, you know, um, tool to have. Um, and I, I would say that for all children, you know, knowing those signs that, Look, they're doing that not because they're naughty, not because they're acting out, not because their autism is getting worse. It's giving us a guideline to say, hey, you know, the world doesn't feel right at the moment. Or, you know, we used to always, you know, go to Coles on Fridays or we used to always go past, you know, Brumbies and pick up a plane roll. Um, and now we're not allowed to do that anymore. Um, and it doesn't make sense why we're not allowed to do that. Yeah. So I think keeping that in mind in terms of those sensory issues is really important. That's, it's a, yeah, and what you were saying there then, particularly talking about meltdowns, because I, I saw on your website you had um, a blog about the difference between um, tantrums and meltdowns. Mm-hmm. And there is a, a differentiation that I, I wasn't aware of, but particularly that meltdowns are generally associated with kids with ASD. And, and what is the difference between those and how do we manage that? I know yeah, you're talking so, about prevention. Yeah, but it is. I mean, that's absolutely the key. The key yeah. is prevention in saying that sometimes the meltdown occurs at the end point. <laughs> it okay. was actually that, you know, my socks didn't go on right this morning. Mum put out the blue plate instead of the yellow plate. Um, a loud noise came on the television. Um, we've changed where my special rug is. Um And then, you know, mum wanted me to put on that jacket. So we might think it was the jacket that was the problem. No, it was probably, it was building up along the way. Because a meltdown is you are overloaded. 
I'm overloaded. The world has overloaded me and I don't know how to cope. And it won't be logical. Meltdowns are not logical. That sensory overload that the world is too much for me and I need to be in a safe place. And there's no disciplining for a meltdown. Children don't choose to feel like this. Um, And I think, you know, one of the things that happens as parents of children who have these meltdowns, I I think that um, if they are public, um, I think our own feelings about that often cause us to react in a certain way Mm -hmm. because we start to feel like we don't know what to do or we don't know what to cope, you know, how to fix this, how to save it, how how to save our child from this horrible experience. And then the other bit is the fear of what other people think, okay? So the idea that other people are going to be judging my child or my parenting in that moment. And I think one of the best ideas to remind yourself of is I think we always look at people around us and assume that they're thinking the worst. Yeah. Those people might actually be thinking, wow, that mum's having a tough day or that poor dad, look, he's trying to get that little one out of the supermarket aisle. So if you're a parent who's watching your child have a meltdown or a tantrum, please don't assume that everyone's judging you negatively. Your job when managing a meltdown is help to reduce the sensory overload. And that usually means being somewhere quiet, being somewhere there where there's less stimuli or being somewhere that's predictable mm-hmm. because that then helps your child feel safe in the world again. Tantrums, on the other hand, are a behavioural response to a situation that went badly. Okay. Okay. Um, tantrums are easier to deal with because your child can learn from that. So if your child throws a tantrum because it's time to leave the park, when you get home and they're calm, you can say, oh, yeah, you were grumpy, you didn't want to leave the park. I understand that. What about next time I give you a warning? What about next time if you come straight away and we walk to the car together, you can have a Freddo frog? That will not work for a child having a meltdown. You could promise them anything in the world that meltdown's not stopping. And how do you differentiate between the two? Um, tantrums are usually um, around, it's got more to do with things not going the way they thought they were going to go. Mm-hmm. So I know for children with ASD, that could also overwhelm them. Yeah. But it's, it, it will be an outburst, not a meltdown. A meltdown has some essence of sensory about it. Okay. All right? They might not be able to tell you what it is. Okay, right. Um, It's a bit like, I mean, to give an example for those parents out there who don't have a child with a diagnosis, you know when, you know, for a couple of days, particularly when they were toddlers, you know, they were whingy and whiny and they were grumpy and you couldn't, nothing appeased them and then, you know, Two days later, they got a tooth or they got a cold. Yeah. Okay? There was stuff going on inside of them that they were unable to communicate to us what was happening. That's sort of trying to um, give those people out there an understanding of what a meltdown feels like. Because that's sensory. It's sensory. Yeah. They can't yeah. tell you. They can't tell you what the problem is. 
So, um, and what is good is if, you know, meltdowns tend to happen when everything in the world's been tipped upside down or just two things have been tipped upside down. Um, but it will have something to do with how things feel, how they smell, how they look, how they sound. Okay. And so going back to what you were saying before, um, talking about uh, with the sensory overload, uh, making it predictable, making it quiet, uh, less stimuli. Um, I d- I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the TV show Atypical. Yes. Um, yeah, great TV show. And Love the guy it. goes around wearing the uh, the noise-cancelling headphones. And it's funny because we, we talked about this and, and exactly as you were saying, we thought, well, I guess we shouldn't get him the headphones because we want them to get used to these sounds. And and it, would you then advocate having those headphones handy just in case you're in those situations where you just need to? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Those headphones should be um, handy for those those points. And the other thing is, you know what, this is um, having these experiences before children are at school gives them the strategies that is going to allow them to cope. Now, one of the most brilliant things is, like when I first started out doing this 30 years ago, those headphones that you see really cool young people walking down the street, mm-hmm. and you could walk down the street, um, they were wearing them. They're like a fashion accessory. Yeah. So, you know, great. That is so advantageous for my clients, you know. You know, that, that and fidget spinners are wins for me. And so... If you can encourage your child to put those headphones on when they're not coping, that is teaching them that um, independence. I mean, what I see in well-run classrooms now when children are at school is, you know, good classrooms have tubs of headphones. I mean, they may not be the, you know, the fancy Bose noise cancelling one, but they're headphones that anyone in the classroom picks up and puts on their ears when it gets too noisy. Okay. Yeah. So you'd be surprised at a lot of kids will tell you, you know, I work better when there's not so much noise. Other kids don't even notice the noise. So, you know, it's very much an individual experience. And, you know, once upon a time, you know, I was a teacher in a classroom and I know how noisy teachers can be. And particularly when there's been a move towards group work, um, we need children, whether they have a diagnosis or not, to say, this isn't working for me, this will help. So by all means, if you've got those and we teach your child that if I'm feeling yuck, I can put this on. That's fantastic. I think that's just wonderful. Yeah. Um, I've got some clients I see who just find the idea of lots of people looking at them really difficult um, when they wear sunglasses. Okay. It, It just helps them feel like, there's a gap between them and the world and what they're having to put up with. So, you know, there's lots of really um, wonderful um, modes that we can use to help um, give our children that that little bit of a, a reset, you know, just a brain break, a sensory break from all that's too much. Um, and like in classrooms, for instance, or, or in your home, you know, I think every year I rush out and buy those pop-up tents for my clinic and, you know, recommend that every classroom yeah. has one because even though they're flimsy and, you know, there's a little see-through bit, you'd be surprised at how many children, when they want to break from what's going on in a busy classroom or a busy kinder setting or a busy clinic, can take a break in there for a few moments. 
and then come out when they're ready. Um, that's a great idea. So, I, you know, that's that's a really helpful strategy. We talk about reducing sensory overload and, and these are really important things to consider. I mean, particularly for your listeners who might have their children returning back into the environment, um, to the school environment over the next couple of weeks. You know, in some ways there has been a bit of comfort. Some of my clients who have a diagnosis, well, there's a lot they don't like about it. For some of them, particularly those ones in late primary and early second, secondary, not having to deal with socialising every day, not having to deal with people every day is a real relief for them. So, you know, I think there are positives and negatives to every situation. Yeah, of course. And I, I guess we're, we're in, as you said before, this is uncharted territory. We don't know each step that we go on is just a, a new just experience for us and experience with these kids and uh, you said before it's uh, for for us if it's four or five it's it's a it's a nine or ten for them going back to school after all that time i, I never even thought of that that this is you know we're thinking it's a great thing they're going to get back in but it does present new challenges yeah it means that you've had probably a little bit more peace and quiet at home you've been able yeah. to stay in you know those that sensory clothing when it's that special pair of tracksuit pants or pajama pants or for some of our ASD clients who actually don't like wearing any clothes at all um these have been you know a real relief for them so um you know so you know working with my clients at the moment sort of putting things in place in that preparation um for that return to that environment and making sure we do that gradually without too much um you know setting up those visual calendars to help them prepare that for that. And I suppose the other area that sort of I see coming up in term four, you know, as a psychologist who works around the school terms, I'm always aware of what's the next thing that's coming up. And for some of those children, you know, who might have a diagnosis or may not, starting school next year, I mean, usually we like to give our children, particularly those um, with autism, more opportunity for transition. Yeah. More school visits, um, more familiarity with them with with that new setting, if that's going to be the case, um, and the same for those who are transitioning from year six to year seven. Um, so there's sort of the other things that's really important to keep in mind of at this time is you know talking with your school or your kindergarten preschool how we can help um, put things in place to um, you know to make that transition as smooth as possible. Um, even with the restrictions that we have upon us. Um, I always say that, you know, driving past that school or that kindy or that secondary school at all different times of the day, and that's one of the advantages of lockdown in the next couple of weeks, schools yeah. will be busy at different times, is a really good thing to do. Um, okay. Your child can't visit in on the premises of the school, standing outside looking through the fence is really helpful. Right, really simple things to, to, to yeah. think of and do, yeah, yeah. And okay. even things like yeah. pick up and drop off. Yeah. Go and take your child for a visit when that's happening because schools look very different at pick up and drop off than they do on the weekend or in the middle of the day. Let them yeah. have a look when the, when their children are out playing. Um, if you're at a kindy, you know, go on different days at different times. Pick over the fence. Um, they're all little things that will really help your child. Yeah, because... It, it, like for example, we're supposed to do um the uh, the the prep uh, program yeah. just to you know for six weeks or so in advance to to get them used to, and that's just not going to happen now. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, exactly as you're saying, this is this is 
simple things we can do just to um, introduce them to it. And it, it makes perfect sense. And I didn't even think of it just uh, going back to what you were saying that, you know, we uh, today was the first day for my son going back in um, to his, he's in a four-year-old kinder and it's coming to the end of it. Um, and he misbehaved today or what we would perceive as misbehavior. Yeah. But uh, it makes perfect sense now that, you know, he, he's got, friends there that he's seen for the first time altogether in, in in a few months yeah and you know they haven't even all come back yet and it's it's it, it shift again for him it's another transition and transitions are always a challenge aren't they absolutely transitions are are really difficult even if they're transitions that you do a lot okay yeah um everything can look a bit different and feel a bit different and we all know those cases where you know it's the same kindy setting or the same classroom, the same children, same school bag, same snack box, but, you know, the teacher's away. Yeah. Like that is like the world is broken open when that happens for these kids. So those small things can be difficult. Look, one of the advantages in some children being able to return to their school classroom settings or kindy settings with just a few students is at least they're getting used to being in that environment till it's mm. a full classroom because that then lifts the noise and the expectations. But I think we can always look back in retrospect and work out, oh, yes, that's right. Um, but I think understanding what's going on for these little people, you know, is the greatest education in ourselves. Yeah. And, again, yeah, it comes back to the parents, of course, yeah, treating yeah. ourselves. Um, just... Before we move on to the, I wanted to ask more about uh, parenting and, and, and the anxiety yeah. and depression that we're all facing at the moment. But with um, the sensory things that you talked about with kids with ASD, does it seem like it does come in waves? Like it, you know, it, it eases yeah. off. Sometimes there's no reaction whatsoever, and other times they have a massive reaction. Um, and is there is that just completely unpredictable? It's more it's more unpredictable um, when they're younger. Okay. okay. It's it's more well, I think what happens when they're older is their sort of their sensory issues um, become more within their domain. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we don't always think that this is the case, but you know, sensory seeking can actually be, be playing Minecraft. You know, when people say he needs more Minecraft, he needs more Minecraft because he's not coping. Okay. So Sensory, you know, Minecraft isn't much of an imposition as there's only one pair of socks that feels right today. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and they won't be able to tell you why it's today because yesterday I wore those socks and they were fine and today they're not. Okay. Don't try to problem solve it like we do. Okay. Don't try to convince him that they were the same socks that you had on yesterday and they fitted yesterday what's wrong forget about that that is so unhelpful okay yeah (laughs) so making any sense to him okay it is let's try and find socks that feel right okay so it will be because something in that child's mind doesn't seem right today and they won't always be able to tell you or it's something that they're anticipating or something that they got wrong so it might be, you know, if they're a bit older, it might be that they heard that Matthew's giving out birthday invitations, which might sound like a great thing. But that idea of getting there and have to deal with getting the invitation or not getting the invitation 
is way too much. Okay. But because this is a social communication disorder, he's or she is not going to articulate that to you. It becomes a sock issue. Yeah. Okay. Or it becomes, I can't wear. You know, you watch ASD heading off to an event that they've been looking forward to and they want to go to, um, and then being unable to leave the house because they can't find the right T-shirt to put on. And it's heartbreaking as a parent because thinking, oh, my God, you're self-sabotaging here. Yeah. Um, so sensory issues will ebb and flow around something that's going on in their head. Um, and sometimes, you know, in many, many cases, there were children who used to be um, uh, sensory um, avoidant of noise, but now um, sensory seek, you know, lovely soft fabric or something. So it's... You know, it, it does change. Um, there are kids who never had an issue with the smell of something, but all, all of a sudden become these, you know, odor detectives who go, What is that smell? You know, because even that, you know, I, I had a little girl who we couldn't get back into kinder and we did everything. We checked that everything was the same and they had new cleaners that were coming in and they were using different detergent that none of us could smell, but she could smell. Of course. So yeah. it, it's just, yeah. It's like how they always know, you know, that you know that they like nuggets, but a lot of um, families of those with ASD children know that there's only one type of nugget that cuts it. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> those sensory issues can become about what they eat as well. So yep. stages of what we might call fussy eating has more to do with sensory issues than just being difficult. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um. Well, thanks for that. And so what I wanted to go back to and something you said to me earlier on um, was about how you're where before you might have seen people once a term. Now you're seeing them, you know, once a month or, or, or every couple of weeks and the people you're seeing once a month, you're seeing every fortnight or every week or so. And is that is it manifesting as anxiety, depression? Is it just a whole range of everything and just coping with look, everything that we're dealing with? Yeah, I think look for the most part, for my children who have a diagnosis or my young people, it's coping with the change mm-hmm. and uncertainty. Um, but across the board, um, it's anxiety. Um, it's anxiety about, you know, even for those older children, you know, in those upper years of secondary who, you know, the idea of not having to go to school was spectacular, but now they're begging to be back there because they're social creatures and they're missing out on social interaction. So that's for adolescents. They're really anxious about where things stand in terms of social um, connection and friendships. You know, they need that everyday incidental, um, here's my friend, you know, to give them evidence that, yes, I've got those buddies, I've got those mates. Um, And for children, it's the same thing about the idea of not being sure about play, about, you know, kids, as you know, in playgrounds, in, in, in primary schools, the same goes game goes on day after day after day. And yeah. it, you know, um, so going back into that environment and not knowing what game we're going to be playing, you know, it's really difficult. So even though children know they'll be going back to school one day, what was once great fun and something to look forward to now makes them anxious. Um, the schoolwork, oh my gosh, don't get me started. You know, we've been so on about how important our mental health of our children is, and it's far more important than, than schoolwork. Yet I yeah. know that a lot of parents and children remain anxious about that. 
that of how much schoolwork they've missed. So that's another added stress. I'm getting lots of calls from families saying, you know, I've watched my child on Zoom. I'm worried they've got ADHD because they can't attend. Um, and it's trying to explain that, no, that is not the case. This is not how children were meant to learn. So anxiety of parents, it, I mean, we know anxiety is contagious. If we're anxious as parents, mm-hmm. children pick that up. They are so good at queuing in to what's going on for us. So, and, and then watching us stressed and uncertain, you know, that translates to them. So for the greatest part, it's the increase in anxiety because we don't know what's going to happen next and we don't have a definitive plan. Um, We know that when anxiety is difficult to treat or we can't test some of our theories or get on top of things or get some wins on the board, we do low mood results that. So I wouldn't say that people are clinically presenting as more depressed. Mm -hmm. I think that your anxiety so, because because when you're anxious, you retreat. When you retreat, you do less. You don't get out of bed. You don't have good routines, and then that tips into you sliding into that feeling of low mood and helplessness, which is when you know we get some of the depression. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's been an increase in depression in primary school age children, but there's definitely been an increase in anxiety. I would say for teenagers, what it's presented as anxiety, and then that's manifested into depression and low mood. Okay. And for parents? And for parents, um, overall, it, it will be anxiety, anxiety, anxiousness for themselves, um, anxiety about, for a lot of families, um, my child's so far behind, what does that mean for the rest of their schooling? And, and, and what I keep explaining to you, everyone's in the same boat. This is not, you know, everyone in Australia has missed out on year eight maths. Yeah. <laughs> and guess what? Year eight maths is not the most important thing in the world. Yeah. All right? Yeah. So we have to stop looking at as about curriculum, about what we're achieving. It's about saying, teaching our children that the world can be okay, that you can do anything. You've managed what you would, you know, lot, if you're in Melbourne, guys, longest um, world record for the longest amount of days in lockdown. Mate. You get T-shirts made that say I survived Melbourne lockdown. Um, but there, I, there does need to be that recognition of, you know, how well they've done. Um, one of the things that parents will, will, I think, will really value seeing, and I think you mentioned it before them going back to school, is trying to get back to some sense of normal, trying to get back to routines. Um Parents know that they feel better when there's a plan or a routine, everything isn't chaotic, and kids feel better when there's a routine and a plan. So I think a lot of the stress for parents comes from not knowing, not having routines, and being really worried about their children. Um, And we know it was a recent um, set of data that came out of the UK because, of course, they're a little bit ahead of us with the post-lockdown children returning in whilst they experience the same sort of um, data around poor mental health in young people, we have been showing that um, looking three, you know, three months post being back at school, um, children have began to um, improve with their mental health um, and re-engage in those positive relationships and even re-engage in learning more effectively. So I think it's really important to always consider data um, you know, when it's evidence-based, we can mm-hmm. safely say that once we're all back on deck, 
you know, we will get to see some more normality for our children. So with that, then it's, I guess we're all experiencing what we essentially is a collective trauma for us yeah. right now. Um, do you believe then that, that once we have an opportunity to heal from trauma, that we actually do become stronger from it? I think that, you know, um, I think healing from trauma, I don't look, I mean, you know, it's like a scar. Yeah. There's always a little bit of tenderness. There. Sure. Okay. I don't think you can, you know, and I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's healthy to pick a big whopping bandage over and go, right, that was done. You know, I think healing is really, really important, um, but it's what healing looks like. Yeah. Um, I think recognising when you aren't feeling great and putting things in place that help you as an individual, and I think that's really pertinent to, to parents, you know, I think one thing will happen is when children go back to school, um, particularly younger ones, they'll get back into their routines. I think us as parents, um, I think we'll be quite overwhelmed by having yeah. to process what we've just, you know, it's like everything. We keep coping until we get to the end. Yeah. And that's often when we have that little dip. So I think for some parents we might see that. So when you talk about healing from trauma, I think it's important that we put in place good strategies of self-care mm -hmm. um, and looking at, you know, whether you were triggered by anxious thinking, you know, do some work around that. Get better. You know, there's lots of great online programs and apps and things you can start to do so you don't fall into that trap of letting that anxious thinking and that negative cycle spiral you down. So, you know, I'm a firm believer if you've been through a tough time, you've got to have takeaways out of that. Um, and they don't all have to be bad. Um, I do think one of the things that happened this time with this recent lockdown is that we were all re-triggered. And I think that's why we would say undoubtedly this sixth lockdown has had the greatest impact mentally yeah. um, on people's psychological well-being because of that. Um, but, you know, I think the idea of more lockdowns, I think each time we go back into them, um, particularly when they're the length that these ones are, you know, we do get, you know, there is a, a trauma. Again, we revisit mm -hmm. that. Um, but I hopefully with, you know, the plan moving forward, ever hopeful, um, that we're not looking at that. Yeah. So when, when you're talking about the takeaways, what, what 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 do you mean by that? What would that look like? I think that would look like that the things you took for granted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think the things Gratitude. you took for granted. Yeah. The simplicity of, you know, hey, remember down in lockdown and when we played that stupid charades guy game, or you know, remember in lockdown we could only have picnics and yeah. we couldn't go to you know mcdonald's or la paqueta to eating you know like yeah, yeah those new rituals and routines that you did that actually could be sort of fun i think it's you know and the idea that that respect for i think we have as parents is how hard learning is mm -hmm. and i think for some kids not all um how long mum or dad's day is when they're working because for a lot of these kids they've never seen us working no yeah of course um, i mean obviously that depends on the age of the child um so you know look i don't like to think that i'm you know i'm always you know a psychologist a scientist but there's a big part of me that thinks that for a lot of us we have begun to re-examine what's really important and what we really value um 
and what we sometimes take for granted. Um, and whether that's the freedoms or whether that's each other um, or whether that's friendships um, or playgrounds um, or, you know, your kids' cricket team or swimming lessons, you know, I think once upon a time we rushed through those weeks just, you know, shuffling our children from event to event, whereas now I think we've got a newfound respect for how important those um, routines and rituals are to them. Yeah, that's a fascinating way of looking at it, absolutely. It's great to think of those things that, yeah, we, we take for granted, even in lockdown, the things that we're getting to do, as you say, picnics, or for yeah. us it's bike rides, you know, every every yeah. day we have a chance, we go out in a family, do a family bike ride, and it's probably something that we wouldn't even make time for under normal circumstances. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I can tell you as a mum of, well, three adult children mm-hmm. who just come back here for food, um, it's, it, you know, it, it has been lovely to have those, you know, Zoom trivia nights because, you know, they couldn't see their friends that actually hadn't spent time with mum and dad. So, I mean, if you're talking about teenagers, you know, and that older group who are always tucked away in their rooms, not wanting to spend any time with, you know, parents as if, there's been some nice moments, yeah, um, yeah for families. Um, I think we all would like a nice break from each other um, at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I can say that at my husband and I'm sure he'll say that about me, but it is about, you know, it is about recognising how important we are to each other um, and that's definitely give, given us this. Yeah, it really has. And it's just funny as you're talking there about, you know, gratitude for those those things or those, you know, what we use to cope actually become becomes um, a, a great thing for us or a great memory. I, I remember back uh, when I was traveling with my wife when we, before we had kids and we were able to do things like that and we were able to travel before yeah. in that previous world. Um, and we were in, a, in a, an airport about four o'clock in the morning, just exhausted, out on our feet. And we started playing this game called Bop and we just had like, you know, the cushions that you had, the little pillows that you wear around your neck on the plane. We just started hitting each other in the head with it. <laughs> and it was just, we were delirious. We were just so exhausted. And we were just playing this silly, silly game. And we talk about it still, Isn't you know, how funny? much fun that was. And, you know, un- under different circumstances, we're, we're just exhausted in an airport at four o'clock in the morning, you know, just in transit. And it's not a fun time. But, you know, we made the best of that in that moment. And, and that's, I guess, when we look back at this, we will have those moments where, hey, remember, we, we, we got to, our kids will probably say, hey, remember, we used yeah. to see you all day long. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Remember, we could go to the fridge any time of the day and get something mm. to eat. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and that you got to see my teacher all the time. I mean, look, there's been, yeah. But I think, you know, it, we're mindful of our steps forward here for pa- us as parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always wary that, you know, when we've, when we've done the hard yards, sometimes, you know, we cope until we can't. So I think... The, the next few weeks in terms of self-care is really important. Um, and I think there will always be a little bit of a cautiousness. You know, we know that we people do have post-lockdown anxiety where they've got so used to being on their own that they're going, oh, I don't know if I want to go out for dinner or I don't know if I want to go to that function. Or, um, so, and that's okay. You know, the, you know um, we know the advice there is manage your own needs, go at your own place. And I think that's really, yeah. really critical. Yeah. Um, don't feel pressure um, to go out there and have to do anything and nor should your children. So if you hear your children saying, no, I don't want to go to that birthday party, listen to them. Okay. All right? They may not be ready for that. 
Um, I know, you know, some of my clients and my, you know, nieces and nephews don't feel they can go to a playground when it's crowded. They said, can we come back later when it's quiet? Because they're not used to around being that many children. So these are things to keep in mind over the coming weeks. Yeah, it's interesting. And again, we before when we weren't in lockdown we went to Hillsville to the sanctuary there and um they have this the, the big bird house where you can go in there and you know before you could feed the birds but now because the birds haven't seen people for so long they don't come to you anymore they stay up in the trees really and yeah so it's interesting because they won't come to humans they're, they're so not used to so many humans coming in anymore that they just won't come down from the trees to 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 get fed that's fascinating well you can see then you know yeah you know, us as an animal life are doing the same thing. Sometimes we're cautious in wanting to be in that yeah. busy place with all that noise and interaction. And I assume we're, we're far more complex than the birds are. And, and yeah, yes, yes. So we have a lot more to deal with. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, yeah, taking it slow. And, and that's the thing. Again, in, in clinic, I see it all the time. People come in and, and you know, they have something wrong with them or, or they, they're, they're feeling back pain or something like that. So, like, have you got any stress or anxiety? You say, well, no, not at the moment. You know, a while back I had that's gone now. So, well, this is your body processing and yeah. finally letting it go. And that's, you know, symptomatically is there now, but it's been caused by something in the past. Or oftentimes I see people who are on holidays and they get sick on holidays because yes. they've been keeping themselves going for so long that the moment they, they get to relax, the body says, oh, finally, let's dump all this stuff we've been holding on to. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and you're absolutely right. And I, 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 in my you see it in your practice yourself. We know that um, what we're processing in our brain um, and with our emotions will absolutely manifest in, you know, in physical issues mm-hmm. or gut issues. So, you know, I, I think having self-care in terms of, you know, looking after yourself in terms of physically um, with exercise and good sleep and good nutrition, you know, they are the underpinnings of mental health. I mean, I know it's Mental Health Month. Um, for October but you know they're just as important as what's going on you know up here Um, those other aspects are critical yeah of course yeah and when we do exercise of course we have the release of endorphins of dopamine of serotonin all these things that make us feel good about ourselves absolutely we know there's certain foods that do the same thing so you know um, I think it's important to make sure that we're looking after all aspects of ourselves um, if we want to stay, you know, well psychologically um, and be there to help navigate um, tricky times for our children um, and, you know, and get through to, to the end of the year um, and then breathe a sigh of relief. At the end of the year, everyone's looking to the end of the year, that big holiday, <laughs> if we get there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Deirdre, I guess that's just such a wealth of hugely valuable information. Uh, we've actually covered a multitude there tonight. We probably have. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to talk that, take you off track. <laughs> oh, no, I, I absolutely loved it. And I think people listening are just going to get so much from that. I really do. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Now, folks, that was the wonderful Deirdre Brandner. And usually at the end of these podcasts, I like to have, a, say, three takeaways or key points, but it's so hard to come up with three points from that because it's just, just filled with wisdom, filled with so many great points of advice. I'll try my best anyway. So 
the first one that comes to mind for me is, you know, for us, we're, if we're stressed out to a four or five at the moment, kids with ASD, the volume's dialed up to 11. Okay, Deirdre said eight or nine, but, or nine or 10. But yeah, let's be honest, it, it's it's a higher level because of the, the disruption to the routine. And, and as Deirdre said, going back to school then is also where, where kids have gotten used to being home with the parents and and you know, having something of a, a new routine to go back into that routine that can be quite disturbing, you know. So, for example, going back to school, you know, if they are transitioning to a new school or go go in, go just check out the school, go look at it during, you know, pick up and drop off or, or just let them just kind of walk around the school, even if they can't go in and they don't have their, you know, pre-prep programs or transition to high school and things like that, just just bring them along and let them kind of get familiar with the school itself, just whatever we can to help with that transition and, and going back. And parents, give yourself a break. Yeah, if you're not getting it perfect all the time, that's okay. You know, we're in unprecedented times. It is a challenge. You don't have to achieve perfection. And as Deirdre said, that parental guilt about not giving our kids the best of us at all times, you know, our, our best is not one level on every day you know what's what's our best on one day is not our best on another day so all we can do is do our best on any given day whatever that is on that day uh, i love the idea of the pop-up tent in the classroom i thought that was brilliant just to, to create that little bit of space you know or using the uh, noise cancelling headphones a la the tv show atypical that another just whatever tools you know maybe don't rely on all the time but to have that there as an option can be good kids with asd need that little bit of space just to help down regulate the nervous system and get back to baseline and get back to feeling calm and centered again and on that then the difference between meltdowns and tantrums that meltdowns are actually sensory overload and tantrums are different they're not the same thing and being able to differentiate between what is a meltdown what and what is a tantrum so deirdre has her own website which is deirdrebrandner.com.au now unfortunately deirdre's clinic is not available for appointments anymore deirdre is booked out and apparently has been for many years uh, she may be available for um talks as a guest speaker in educational settings so if you want to get in touch with something like that yeah uh, by all means but really Deirdre just wanted to share her wisdom and share whatever she can to help us under these particularly challenging circumstances that we face in lockdown okay well thanks again for listening I'll be back again next week with another great guest 